Yesterday, I got to marry Don Jenkins's daughter, Chelsea. What a difference in crowds. I realize that if I know the crowd, I'm much more comfortable. So I'm comfortable here. You know what I mean? I'm just... <laughs> but when you don't know that crowd, you try to be on the top of your game. <laughs> and... Uh, but we got them married. That's uh, that's the second Jenkins wedding I did, and uh, it was a blessed time. And they're Cancun. Did they? They're vac uh, honeymooning in Cancun. But this morning we're going to look at Exodus chapter nine, verses eighteen through thirty-five. And the the lessons that we learn from Pharaoh are many. And we can look on disobedience as simply not obeying God. How does God look upon disobedience? He looks upon man's disobedience as man exalting himself against God. In Exodus 9:17, God tells Pharaoh, "Let my people go." Pharaoh thinks he has an option. <laughs> whether to obey God, let him go or not. But we've already read that Pharaoh knows in his heart that the plagues that are coming upon Egypt are from him. And he thinks that he can resist God. But the plagues become more and more severe. When God begins to speak to our hearts about uh, obeying or serving him. And some Christian, is mostly at those other churches, not here of course, they can begin to think they have the option as to whether obey, disobey, or just simply ignore God's word to them. So the paramount question becomes, do we think we have an option to be obedient to God. There are some people who really do not want to know God's will for their life, and they prefer to live in ignorance of God's will, thinking that ignorance of His will is an excuse. Let me give you a little example of ignorance of things you should know. You're driving down a country road. You're feeling a little frisky. It's a beautiful day. There's hardly any traffic out. And there's no posted speed limit signs. So you roll back the sunroof. You're going to open this baby up a little bit because you like to drive fast and you fly by a trooper. The blue lights come on. Trooper pulls you over and he asks you, do you know how fast you were going? And you answer, well, yes. When I saw the blue lights, I looked at my speedometer. I know how fast I was going. But officer, there's no posted speed limit sign. And he will say something like this, as a licensed driver, you are to know the traffic laws 
you are to know that a speed limit on a country road, even if it is not posted, is 45 miles per hour. And then he has the nerve to write you a ticket. But you see, your ignorance of the speed limit was not an excuse that that trooper would buy. As Christians, we are to know God's prohibitions. And we are to know his commands. We are to know his word. For a Christian, it's critical to know if you're going to advance with the Lord whatsoever, it's critical to know the will of God for your life. And ignorance of his will should never be an excuse not to serve him. Pharaoh is in violation of what God is revealing to his heart. Pharaoh cannot claim ignorance, for God has spoken to his heart. And Pharaoh's ignorance has been removed. As God is faithful to reveal his will to this pagan king, how much more is God faithful to reveal his will to us, his children? God has a plan for us. It's a good plan. It's a plan of fulfillment. It's a plan that will bring you happiness. And it's a Christian's obligation who has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus to know God's word and to know God's will for your life. That's our responsibility. God is faithful to speak to us if we will allow him. But it's not only Pharaoh that hardens his heart against God. Many Christians like to live on the fringes, not realizing happiness and contentment in doing God's will. So let's jump into Exodus chapter 9. We'll look at verses 18 through 35. This is God speaking uh, through Moses to Pharaoh. Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause very heavy hail to rain down, such as not been in Egypt since it was founded. Therefore send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field, for the hail that shall come down on every man, every animal, which is found in the field and is not brought home, they shall die. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards heaven. Let there be hail in all the land of Egypt. No man, uh, on man, on beast, on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod towards heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and the hail and fire, rather, darted on the ground, and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt, and all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. 
And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thunderings and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. So Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. Now the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was in the head and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the smelt were not struck, for they are late crops. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord. Then the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain was not poured on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart and his servants, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard, neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord has spoken by Moses. You have a classic hard heart of Pharaoh there. Thunder and lightning and hail come upon Egypt from heaven thunder and lightning and hail they're very common here in the south Florida happens to have the distinction of being the distinct distinction of being most likely to be struck by lightning if you live there that's that's enough reason not to live in Florida right there but about 12 years ago Lori and I we built our retirement home up on Brindley Mountain. It was a nice home. It had all the features that we desired. And our home was located on a mountain bluff, an absolute bluff, with a beautiful view. And we built on the southwest side of a canyon. Storms roll in from the southwest into our area, usually the bad ones. And lightning strikes a bluff, not the valley. We never saw lightning strike down in the valley that was behind our home, but we sure saw it strike up on the bluff. And we learned a whole new respect for lightning. Our home was struck several times with lightning. We suffered two times the complete loss of all electrical appliances in our home. Our homeowner insurance, they were beginning to raise our rates. <laughs> I put in one of those surge protectors on our electrical box out in the garage. It was also destroyed by lightning. And one day a storm rolls in and I'm out in the garage and I'm, I'm doing something, I'm working on something and lightning struck very, very close. It was so close you could hear the sizzle. And you know what I mean if you've ever been that close. And you can even smell it. A tree just outside my garage had been struck by lightning and it had that bark peeling stripe all the way down it. <laughs> of course the tree died. And to have lightning strike that close it is very frightening. And at about this point, I'm beginning to wonder, 
why did I build on this bluff? But this hailstorm that hits Egypt is the most severe storm, according to God's word, that ever struck Egypt. That means it was a bad one. So severe is this storm that fire is darting on the ground. That is nothing more than lightning gone amok. <laughs> and the hail was so severe that it's destroying everything that is left out in the field. The plants, the herbs, the trees, grain crops uh, ready for harvest. And even destroying man and beast that are left out in the open. There has been just enough time between the plagues of the Egyptians for them to reacquire animals and this kind of thing. And they probably bought these animals from the Hebrews that have not been struck. For only Egypt was struck with these plagues now. And Goshen, where God's people live, it is not being struck. God has chosen to protect his people among all of these natural, what we would call plagues. And when severe thunderstorms roll into our area, and we're under tornado watch and all that thing, kind of thing, I begin to pray, God, protect your people. And that's a good prayer. I want God's protection because the storms can be very severe around here. Verse 27, we have Pharaoh admitting he sinned. Now what's wrong with that picture? If you consider yourself deity, if you think that you are a god, then sin should be foreign to you. If you are a god... You should be able to do as you please with no consequences because you're a God. But God, the true and living God, is bringing Pharaoh to the realization that he is not God. And Pharaoh says, I have sinned. Part of the appeal, part of the lure of thinking you're a God is that you don't have a guilty conscience. After all, you're above those kind of things. And it's interesting for us as Christians to understand the only boundaries our God puts on himself are boundaries of love towards us, his people. Think about it. God tells us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He tells us how much he loves us. He tells us how none, he's not willing that any should perish. God puts boundaries of goodness on himself towards us, his people. But I want to tell you something outright. Maybe you know this, maybe you don't. I am not a God. All right? And neither are you. <laughs> and there's none of this nonsense of realizing or coming to grips with if I am a God. Leave that to Hollywood and the Shirley MacLaine's. You know what I'm saying? Let them think that. But Pharaoh has declared, the Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. That's quite an admission from a pagan king that is worshipped by his people. 
But Pharaoh, he petitions Moses. He says, entreat the Lord to stop the thunderings and the hail. And for the moment, Pharaoh is thinking, I've got to get these people out of my countries or we're going to be destroyed. But you know, Moses is not dumb. And he doesn't buy into Pharaoh's false repentance. And neither does God. Moses knows and understands that Pharaoh is just trying to act humble so that the hail and the plague will be removed. And as soon as the weather clears, as soon as there's blue skies again, Pharaoh will harden his heart. And Moses knows this, and God knows this. And sure enough, as soon as it clears up, Pharaoh does harden his heart. It's an amazing phenomenon that we usually do not repent or confess sin or feel sorrowful of sin until we're caught. Have you ever noticed that? (laughs) Oftentimes in a murder trial, when the guilty party is about to enter that uh, part of the trial where the sentence will come down on them, the murderer, the one that is guilty of the crime, will usually give a tear-filled confession to the courts and to the victims of the family and so forth. And he does this in the hopes of his sentence being reduced. Now, our Lord knows the beginning from the end. He knows perfectly well when true repentance is made to him. And when true repentance is made to the Lord, he is faithful and just to forgive us. That's the good part of our Lord. But our Lord is not stupid. He is not dumb. And when our God sees the heart and the intent of a person and knows that that person is not sincere and they're just putting on a sorrowful attitude or or saying sorrowful words, he understands that. He knows that. He is God. Because being sorrowful is not repentance. It leads to repentance sometimes, but it is not repentance. Judas, Judas Iscariot, was totally sorrowful that he had betrayed Christ. But Judas did not repent. And there's a difference. God has told Moses up front, Pharaoh will harden his heart and right on cue, Pharaoh does. Pharaoh is playing the repentance game with God, trying to say the right words without truly repenting. All Pharaoh really desires is that the plagues will go away. He wants it to stop thundering and he wants the hail to stop. And let me remind any person who has ever sinned, and by the way, that's all of us, Repentance is good. We are allowed to repent. We are allowed to change direction. And repentance means just doing an about face of the direction you were headed. But be sincere when you repent. And make provisions not to sin again. You're at home. There's... Nothing going on one evening, so you turn on the TV 
and there's this movie coming on, and it has a bad rating. But you're an adult. You can handle this, but after watching the movie, you feel guilty. There was bad language in the movie. There was sexual content in the movie. There was way too much violence in the movie, and you feel guilty. So you pray and you ask God to forgive you, and that's good. Now, true repentance, though, requires that you remove that temptation to sin again. Uh-oh. True repentance will require you to call that movie provider and cancel those stations. That's true repentance. You're removing the temptation. True repentance will remove the source of temptation. Now, I could have gone all morning without saying that, couldn't I? True repentance is turning away from doing that about face, not just feeling sorry for your sin. And Jesus gives us an example. You may want to turn to Luke uh, 19. We'll look at verses 1 through 10. Jesus is going to encounter a wee little man called Zacchaeus. Luke 19, verse 1. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Uh, in those days, tax collectors were known as sinners. Not today. We look upon the IRS as, as, well, maybe they're not doing so well. But anyway, tax collectors are notorious sinners. Okay, verse 3. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Jesus is telling Zacchaeus, my father wants me to stay with you today, Zacchaeus. Jesus says, I must stay at your house. So he made haste and he came down and we received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complain, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is sinner. That they there are the religious leaders of that area. The religious leaders want to know why Jesus is going to eat with a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. I have taken, if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Zacchaeus truly repents. He is making restitution. He is not simply sorrowful. He is doing something about his sin. He is making restitution. Now, here's what Jesus has to say. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house 
because he is also a son of Abraham. Now it's interesting, a son of Abraham, according to scripture, is a person that is obedient to God, not heritage, not because of who you were born or what family you you belong to. A true Hebrew, a son of Abraham, is one that is obedient to God. And then we hear Jesus say, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. And that happens to be Jesus' mission for coming to earth. He has come to seek and save that which was lost. That includes us. Are you someone that Jesus has come to seek and save because you were lost? I think we can, most of us can answer yes. I am one of those that he came to save that was lost. In our repentance, and I hope you repent, I try to, I try to repent of my sins, but I let it be heartfelt. Don't just let it be sorrowful words. Our prisons are full of men who are sorry for their sins. That does not mean that our prisons are full of repentant men. There is a big difference. So when you confess your sins, confess from the heart, and then make provision in your life not to sin again. The woman caught in adultery, what did Jesus say to her? Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. We have that obligation when we repent, when we confess, to be sincere about it. Now we'll have people back in the prayer area that would love to pray with you. if you would like to pray about anything, and we uh, we pray over sick folks, we pray for healing, we pray for provisions from God, and we certainly will pray with you concerning salvation, if that be the case. So, let me get you to stand, and we'll close in prayer. Father God, I would pray that I would never make false pretense of prayer to you. I don't want to be like the publican who prayed within himself. But Lord, look upon us, your people, and we thank you, Lord, that you are merciful. We thank you that you are kind and full of grace. We thank you, Lord, that you want to uh, redeem us You want to cleanse us. So, Lord, when we come to you in prayer, as we're doing now, do a good work in our hearts. Cleanse our hearts. Give us that determination to uh, not just be sorrowful for our sins, but to turn from them, Lord. We don't want to be deceiving ourselves by continuing in sin. So help us, Lord. Help us and free us of the sin 
that so easily will entangle us, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the for redeeming us. Thank you for going to the cross to give us forgiveness, Lord. But Lord, we want to apply that to our lives. So be merciful to us, your people. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.